0: Gonna get tired of me, but for today we have a really awesome guest speaker. Max Sandlin is going to be speaking, and man, he is—he is a hoot, for lack of a better term. He—he uh, he has a firecracker of a personality. So getting to know him, he's—he's he's really fun to be with and a really good man. And he is a professor at Harding University, and he is. Teaching a theology related class. He's taught some ethics classes and he also teaches pneumatology, which that's the study of the Holy Spirit. And the vices and virtues is kind of his jam. And uh, he's he's a really, really gifted teacher. I'm super excited for him to speak with y'all. Y'all are in for an absolute treat. So please welcome Mac to preach. Self turned on here. I uh, I'm glad to be here in uh, Franklin this morning. I think this is the first time that I've uh, visited this church, but I I think so highly of Kyle and of Abby, uh, and it's just been just been a pleasure to meet people and to be here. So uh, this is the sort of sermon that you always want to bring in an outsider to preach. (laughs) You 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 don't want payroll. For the sermon about greed and about giving. <clears throat> so uh, when Kyle called me, Kyle's very very clever. He called me several months ago and said, "Hey, I'd like you to come. Could you, you know, could you make time to be with us and so forth?" And I said, "When is it?" And he said, "Oh, it's in November." And I said, "Oh yeah, schedules wide open." And then uh, this week I thought, oh, he got me. <laughs> he knew I would forget. It was the end of the semester and." Anyway, but I, I just enjoyed so much the drive up yesterday and a little bit of Sabbath time to talk to uh, a friend who's going through some things on the road, and then to pray with him and to be here last night, uh, just in this lovely area of the country. So I, I am uh, very grateful to be here. But when Kyle called me, he said that he was talking about uh, <clears throat> he was talking about sin. That they were doing they were doing a lot of lessons about sin and particular sins along the way. Uh, And that actually made me really happy. Uh, You know, preaching is like everything else in that it kind of swings from pendulum to pendulum. So uh, I have these students and they'll come in, they're 18, and they kind of, they remember their childhood differently than it was sometimes. They go, well, I grew up on that hellfire and brimstone preaching. And I just think, no, no, you didn't. (laughs) Nobody said the word hell in your church for seven years we don't talk about bad things, you just come in and you're just, you know, patted on the head and told you that Jesus loves you. And you know, the reason that, that, that they've grown up like that is because there was a time when we preached about sin. There was a time when, when churches, maybe even to excess, uh, looked at their members and tried to look people in the eye and said, you need to live better than you're living. And that can that can be really unhealthy. That can that can become judgmental. That can become legalistic. Uh, that can make us feel that we're no good and could never be any good, and that even God Himself couldn't make us good. It can make us feel like like the house that is our body is somehow so broken or so tainted that God's Spirit wouldn't want to come live in us. That our hearts are so wicked and deceitful that God couldn't make a home within us, And, and God forbid that preaching about sin leads us to any of those false conclusions. And yet, right, standing in the middle is hard, easy to fall off on one side or the other, to swing the other direction, and to be afraid to say to people, you ought to give away more of your money. And the church has a responsibility to tell you you want to give away more of your money. is just as dangerous. So uh, that is my uh, task this morning, is to come here and to tell you that you should have less money than you currently have. And there will be an offering after the service. <laughs> we used to have an invitation. You could come forward. We don't want that. We want you to go to these red boxes. Or we want you to go to the, uh, the, the, good, the good minister that we just heard a video about. Or we want you to find somebody on the street who uh, needs a meal. Or we want you to call your uncle who really is not trustworthy and really just has made a mess of his life and say, let me pay your lot bill this month. We want you to do that. When I say we, I, I, I don't speak for the, for the leaders in this church Uh, But I I think I do speak for the church, the one church that has uh, existed from the day of Pentecost till now, and that has always said that what distinguishes the church from the world is our love. Jesus says, they will know you are Christians by the way that you love. And so there's a sense in which my topic today is greed, and therefore also generosity and giving. But there's another sense in which my topic today is exactly the topic that every sin sermon you have. And that is, it's about love and ways that love goes wrong. So, I want to begin in the book of Deuteronomy this morning. Chapter 15. This verse was brought home to me uh, and become important to me from a, a little essay by Marilyn Robinson. I don't know if you guys read uh, Marilyn Robinson, she has this wonderful book called, uh, When I Was a Child, I Read Books. And in the book, there's an essay called, Moses, The Fate of Ideas. And it's well worth, it's well worth checking out, it's well worth uh, looking up. She's, <clears throat> she's a, a novelist and a poet and a theologian, and she comes from a different tradition than I come from or we come from, but she has an insight on this that I thought was so powerful. And she pointed me to this verse. We're right in the heart of the second giving of the law. Moses says to the people, there will never cease to be poor in the land. They'll never cease to be poor in the land. We, we sometimes talk about ending poverty. Uh, this, is, this is not a realistic goal. There will always be poor. And, and, and the response to that that we have is, is maybe twofold. One is to say, always have the poor. with you can't do anything about it, I can keep my money. That is, if it's a problem we can't eliminate, then I'm not going to even participate. Isn't that right? I'll just pretend it's not there. But, But notice what Moses says to the people. There will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, because they'll always be there, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. You shall open wide your hand. I wonder, uh, this strikes me as the kind of church where you can get away with this kind of stuff. Can we do something a little uh, kinesthetic here this morning? If we can raise our hands in prayer, can we do something tactile with our bodies to hear this verse? Uh, I'm going to read the beginning. But when I get to where it says, you shall open wide your hand, I would like you to read that aloud with me. And I'd like you to hold your hand out and stretch it out just as far as you can stretch. Don't hurt yourself. I'll give you arthritis or something. But stretch it out just as far as you can. For there will never cease to be the poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, to the poor in your land. Open wide your hand. That's our theme for the morning to open wide our hands. When people say, what is the church? What is, what is Fourth Avenue Church characterized by? What if the thing they said was not just great worship or just uh, mediocre preaching interrupted by great preaching in October or whatever it is? <clears throat> I'm just playing. I'm just playing. You know I love you. Kyle is actually like just one of our best uh, as a Harding professor, let me say, we're so proud, and of Abby as well, uh, of these guys and the work that they do. What if Fourth Avenue was known when people said, "Oh, I know Fourth Avenue. They're that open-handed church. I mean, they're just giving they're just always giving, giving, giving. Anything you need, they give in abundance. They give so much more than we need. What if they were characterized by open-handedness? So let me ask you a question. This is a question that shows up. Uh, I think I first heard it in a movie. Uh, stockbroker, one of those Wall Street kind of movies, you know, and the, the, the young guy starting, the firm, uh, starting at the firm comes in and the, the older, richer guy is telling about it and he says, so what's your number? And the guy says, what do you mean what's my number? And he says, I mean, what's enough to walk away from all this and just live life? So what I want to do, I see, this is great. Many of you have a notebook or a phone or something like that. I would like you to actually write down or if you're sitting with uh, someone in your family, a spouse or, or someone who helps uh, you share finances with, um, you could whisper in their ear. I would like you to take about 15, 15 seconds, 20 seconds, <clears throat> and I would like you to tell me what your number is. How much money is enough? You can do it in terms of an annual income. You can do it in terms of if I won the lottery today, this number, this would be enough where I'd say, Phew, I've got plenty, but I want you to actually write down a number or whisper it in the ear of the person you're with. How much is enough? It's always risky to do this because some of you are now writing. Some of you are going, I'll just wait him out. He's not going to call on me. (laughs) We'll see. How much is enough? What's your number? If I had this much money, then I'd say, "Okay, plenty. I've got enough. I've got enough." Now let me ask you: Was that easy? <laughs> Some of you are going, "No." <laughs> now it might be hard for a couple reasons. Uh, when I when I was uh, I got married young. I was 21, just barely 21 when I got married. And some of you I know are older, and you're like, 21? We were 17. Well, so I was 21 when I got married, and uh, my uncle is a, was a, a tax, tax guy, bookkeeper, accountant. And we didn't really do premarital counseling back then, but we did, like, go around to older, wiser people to help out with things that would be involved in being married that we didn't know about. We read books about romance and intimacy and sexuality, and we talked with some people about that. Uh, and we went to my uncle to talk about money. And so we went in and my uncle said, uh, how much money will you make? And I said, uh, well, I've actually just started as a youth minister at the BB Church of Christ, which is the church where I worship. If you're ever in central Arkansas, there are many churches to choose from, but the best one is the BB Church of Christ. And uh, I said, I work there as a youth minister. I was still in college, but I'd started. And I said, I make $24,000 every year. And I said this with a great deal of pride. Because I thought that was a lot of money. The year before, I had made, I don't know, (laughs) $4,000 working, selling cigarettes at a gas station. And now I was making $24,000 every year. And I told my uncle, and he said, how much are you going uh, to save? And how much are you going to give? And I said, I don't know. How much should I? And he said, well, how much is enough for your expenses? How much is enough to live on? And I said, I have no idea. And he said, do you know what a gallon of milk costs? And I said, no. And he said, are you sure you're ready to get married? <laughs> it may be that you're like me, that this, this question is hard. How much is enough is hard because you just don't know, right? Some of you are going, my wife handles all the finances, Uh, Others are going, my husband handles that, or my parents handle that, or no one handles it, and I'm just kind of, you know, drifting along. So it may be ignorance that makes you not know how much is enough, and I'll say this, don't imagine that ignorance will save you from greed. Ignorance goes along with profligacy, right, or prodigality, just the imprudent tossing away of money. Uh, people who don't manage it well, and then, therefore, don't have something to give when the time comes. You ever had that experience? Oh, I bought this thing. I was excited to buy it. I come to church, and the, it's time for the offering. Uh, oh. Or some, I see someone, and he needs something, and I say, I, I, don't, I don't have anything to give you, because I haven't been a good steward on the front end. So that's one way we might not know. But that's not the way I'm mostly talking about this morning. I'm mostly talking about this morning the reason that many of you are hesitant to write down how much is enough. And the reason is if you write it down, if you make it concrete, there's a chance you might have more than that. And if you have more than enough, you people were just singing about how Jesus is the king... You know what kings will do with your excess money, won't they? They will demand it. And the poor will ask for it. And if you say, this much is enough, and then you read Moses and Deuteronomy say, uh, the poor are always with you, so open wide your hand. If you've already said, this much is enough, then everything that's above that number, you, you don't get control over, do you? That's not what you need. It's not, it's, not, uh, it's not free for you anymore. Isn't that right? How much is enough? When I was uh, a young guy and I was making $24,000 working at the church, I thought, I, and this is actually still kind of true, I think I had more disposable income at that stage of my life than I have ever had since. It was bizarre. Uh, I, just, I just felt like I had more money. And... Uh, But, you know, we had bills and then a part of it, we didn't have health insurance and all that kind of stuff. And I got a little older and I realized, you know, really, I can't make it on this. I'm not saving any money for my future. I'm not putting money in retirement. I don't have health insurance. I really need more money for it to be enough. And if you'd said to me uh, that year, Mac, how much would be enough? I would have said $34,000 if I had $10,000 more I think that would be about, that, that would be enough. I could make it. And I kept working, and, and the church uh, was good to me, and we, we grew, and, uh, you know, uh, it didn't take long till guess what happened? I was making $34,000. Oh, by the way, some of you are really uncomfortable with the fact that I'm naming actual amounts out loud Uh, I'll just say this, the fact that we are more private about our financial lives than about our sex lives in this culture might point to something pretty unhealthy about our financial lives. So I'm trying to kind of perform what I'm preaching up here this morning, okay? After a while, I was making $34,000, and I remembered thinking, 34, that was my number. And I got to, we sat down, Jenny and I, that's my wife, Jenny, we sat down, we looked at our budget. And we realized that actually 34 was not enough. Do you know what was enough? 44. 44 was actually the number. 44 was enough. And for long, Jenny started working a little bit. We were making more than that. I actually got the job at Harding and I negotiated hard because I like games and I like negotiation. And I think that uh, businesses and and organizations, even good Christian colleges like the one where I work, have a duty not to uh, defraud the workers of their wages. And so I think the workers ought to negotiate for that. And so they said, here's your your salary. And I said, no, 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 that won't do. And they said, we don't actually negotiate salaries. And I said, well, you're going to for me. And they said, no, we're not. I said, okay, well, I'll take it. And, uh, (laughs) and they started me out not at 44 but at $46,000. I had not just my number but 2,000 above and beyond my number and I had had that job 6 months when I realized 46 was not quite enough, but I had learned my lesson. I knew that the right number was 60. And now I make 60. Right at 60. Right out what I make, and I think to myself, really a hundred is more what it ought to be. <laughs> now we're laughing, and it's, 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 it's right, I'm telling it in a funny way, but there's another sense in what I'm doing up here is just confessing a sin that you also are guilty of the the guy in the wall street movie when the 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 guy the young guy said to him he said how much is enough do you know what he said more how much is enough more that is the human answer we talked about this one day at a a, a bible faculty colloquy we were all sitting around talking about theology, Dr. Mike Ireland was leaving us, talking about how much is enough. He was selling his home and, and downsizing and uh, making plans for charity and things and talking about this. And I remember uh, one of my colleagues uh, jokingly said, I don't want much. I tend to think not in terms of cash, which is fungible and inflation. He said, I tend to think in terms of land. And, and what I really think would be enough is if I had my land and the land that adjoins it. And that would be Enough. Some of you are doing geography and you're like, wait a second, that's North and South America, right? More is our our base answer. And, And that instinct, that deep drive within us that says, it doesn't matter what number I'm making, if you said how much would you like to make, the answer is more than that. That's what greed is. Greed is the disproportionate or excessive desire for money. Of all the vices, it's one of the easiest to define. And as soon as we define it, we know exactly what it is. Here's how you know what it is. If I put $1,000 in the parking lot and told you there's $1,000 in the parking lot. It's in a blue envelope. It's taped to the ground. If you find it, you can have it. Some of you would leave the sermon. You would say, "Oh, I left something in my car," right? And out you would go. Uh, don't raise your hand. How many have turned down a raise? I, 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 when I was the youth minister of the BB Church of Christ, the preacher there, uh, a saintly man named Larry Trebwell, who I admire so much. Uh, Larry, Brother Larry, was the preacher, and. Uh, Brother Larry went and asked the church once if he could work a second job to get some extra money. And they said, why are you asking us this? You've turned down a raise the last five years. He said, I don't want more money. I just want to put my kids uh, through this school. I want my kids in a Christian school. And I'm willing to work for that. But I already make more than some people in the church. If you pay me more, I'll just put it back in the plate. I, I, I thought that was like a miracle. I also was very unhappy because that was the, what my elders were used to. You know? And I was like, well, I make 24 looking to get to 34. So let me ask this. Is, uh, we're just going to kind of uh, bounce around with these topics this morning with money. Let me ask you this. Is money evil? Is money evil? All right, good. People are saying no. Oh, this is also nice. Like, I I mean, I preach some, but I'm really a classroom teacher. So when I ask something, if y'all want to say something, that that just makes me very happy. Okay? Uh, Yeah, money is not evil. Everybody agree with that? What What does Paul say in 1 Timothy? It's not money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. So it's important to say money is not evil. Now having said that, I would like you to find me a Bible passage in the New Testament that talks about the getting or the having of money in a positive way. That's your assignment for the week. You will read Matthew through Revelation and you will find exactly zero. You will find good things said about money when people are giving it away. But about the collecting of it, the having of it, the possessing of it, the storing of it, maybe neutral, lots of negative, nothing positive. I was shocked the first time I realized that. Uh, Because here's how we preach that passage, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and we go, yeah, the love, the love, the love, the love, it's not the money. Don't mess with my money. It's not money that's bad, it's just the love of it, and I don't love it, I don't love it. Can we just be honest with ourselves? We love money. Who doesn't love money? Most of us, most of us are more addicted to money than we are to anything else in life. We snatch for it. We compete for it. We get grumpy over it. We'll divorce over it. We'll leave ministry for it. We'll move to a whole other part of the country and abandon our communities and our connections for it. We are addicted to money. It can, it's fine to say money's not evil. The love of money is evil. But just admit it, we love it. You love it. I love it. Let me tell you some things the New Testament does say about money. I just want you to hear a little sampling. James chapter 5. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. That's just casual Bible language about money. <clears throat> just casual Bible language. You want to hear another one? Y'all know the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom. Y'all remember scripture at this church, Kyle? I, I mean, I, I don't know. This is a Bible. Here's a, here's a scripture memorized <clears throat> From Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn, right? You remember all those? I like Matthew's Beatitudes. I like, I like them a lot. I'll tell you whose Beatitudes I don't like. Luke's Beatitudes. Chapter 6 of Luke. Listen to how Luke records the words of Jesus. Blessed are you who are poor... No in spirit, just poor. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry right now, for you will be satisfied later. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. You've already got your consolation. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did of the false prophets. Would you like me to tell you the trick to being well spoken of, well thought of in a community? Get more money. It is remarkably effective. Remarkably effective. We speak well of people like that, and Jesus says, woe to them. Luke chapter 14, Luke is the gospel for uh, preaching on this topic, if you don't know. Luke chapter 14, Jesus talking about the cost of discipleship. You remember this passage, he begins by saying, if anyone, this is verse 26, if anyone anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Uh, That's a hard passage, isn't it? We might talk one week about the idolatry of family, which is rampant in conservative Christian churches in America, right? Right? I mean, like the foremost Christian organization for two decades in this country was called Focus on the Lo- I mean, the family. Like, like, and I'm not knocking focusing on families. I love my family. But Jesus says, hate your mother and father, hate your wife and children for my sake. And, and we get stuck on that. We're so sort of like traumatized by Jesus's hard one on that. We miss the end of it. Listen to what he says at the end of this passage. This verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce or give up all that he has cannot be my disciple. This is just parallel to what he tells the rich young ruler. The man comes to him and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Oh, keep the commandments. I've done that my whole life. I'm always keeping the commandments. One thing you lack, go and sell, some of what, oh no, uh, go and sell all of what you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasures in heaven. The young man went away sorrowful because... He had great wealth. We go, ah, see, he loved money. That's why Jesus said it to him. Well, do you love money? Here's a good test. If Jesus told you to give it all away, would you say, yes, Lord? Or would it be hard? We could read lots more. Let me ask you this question Why do you want money? Why do you want money? So uh, just on the piece of paper you were writing down before or on your phone or to the person you're sitting with, just lean over and say, I want money for this. We don't usually, most people don't pursue money as a final end. We want it in order to X, Y, Z, or we want it for A, B, C. Go ahead, write it down or tell the person next to you, why do you want money? Even people in the back, I see you back there. Why do you want money? Oh, yeah, i got to finish in, right? I'm going to try and guess what you said. <clears throat> try and guess what you said. I bet the first thing, uh, my first answer as to why you want money is not what you said. So I don't, I don't think people probably wrote this down. But here's, here's my number one answer as to why you want money. You were trained to want it. There is a cultural and political agenda that is threatening our children. Isn't this true? I'm raising teenagers right now. You can't turn on a TV show without this political agenda being shoved down your throat, constantly out in front. Everywhere you look, it's just pushed, pushed, pushed. Sinful attitude that Christians know is wrong, and everybody in culture wants to say is right. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Talking about the greed agenda. Now, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 5, is talking about sexual immorality, and I heard that Kyle sort of like hit a home run last week, laying down about lust, and I think there's a place Christians need to be concerned about agendas related to sexuality in this country that oppose what God has commanded us, both in Scripture and in nature, but have you read what he says? He says, I told you not to associate with an immoral person, a sexually immoral person in the church, but I didn't mean in the world. But then he goes on to say, of course in the church you wouldn't associate with, in his case, a guy who's sleeping with his stepmom, he says you wouldn't associate with a sexually immoral person or a greedy person, which is idolatry. If, you're, if you think that you should think twice about extending full and open fellowship and being affirming of an alternative sexual lifestyle, I'm with you. But if it doesn't occur to you to ask whether or not people in the church are greedy, and if that's not a bigger threat to us, you got to read the Bible again. Okay? Now look, I'm not saying ease off on the one so that you can ease off on the other. I'm saying get just as hard on money as you want to be about sex. Okay? So number one reason, the number one reason that you want money is you've been trained, brainwashed, ghost-slotted, pick the phrase you like, to to want it, to value it, to think it's the best thing in the world since before you could walk. Our culture is obsessed with it. There is no political, cultural agenda of any kind that will match up against the influence, the power, the pervasity, the ubiquitousness of promoting greed. So number one reason you want it is because you've been trained to. I bet some of you did write this down. I bet some of you wrote down security. I want money for security. Future is uncertain, and I want to feel safe. That's why I need my bank account to be this. That's why I need my land to be this. That's why I don't like debt. I want money for security. But you know the lie of that, don't you? I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns. You fool. This very night... Your soul is required of you. I bet some of you put down, I want money for pleasure. This is me. Security, smearity, I don't care, but I love fun. Have you ever owned a green sports coat? This is very fun. Like, I'm having a great time up here, and I had to pay money for Jack, if I won, I, I did play the lottery the other day when it got over a billion. I did, I bought a ticket. I thought a billion, you know, it's worth it. And, and I didn't win. But somebody said, what are you gonna do if you win it? And I said, you will not believe how many sports coats I'm gonna own. <laughs> All the colors. Anybody, anybody like me? Anybody I say, I like money for pleasure, for a good time. I mean, I mean, we're close to Nashville. Do you know the restaurants you can eat at? How good the food is if you have money? But of course you know the lie in that too, don't you? You know the lie about empty pleasures. The deep pleasures in life, the pleasures that last are not the things that you can buy with money. I mean even the Beatles knew this, guys. Can't buy me love, all you need is love. Some of you, some of you want money for power? You want it for power? You say, if I had money, I could get what I want. Some of you want it to control your children. You want money so you can get your kids to do what you want them to do. Or your parents to do what you want them to do. Or your wife or husband. Or the people with whom you work. Some of you want it for prestige, so you'll be well thought of by others. But you know these are all lies, right? Think of the rich man in Lazarus. How much prestige did the rich man have when he woke up in hell? Lazarus, a beggar covered in sores, looked down on him from heaven. How's the fire? He had no prestige, he had no power. He was now forced to beg Abraham to send Lazarus down to Kulasong, and he said, No, 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 we're not doing that. You have no power. These are lies. The things that we want money for, we know. We know that's not true. The same way that the, the drug addict knows that another hit of heroin's not going to make him happy, but he still wants it so badly. That's you with money. That's me with money. I know it, but my heart still wants it. So they told me I had to be finished, I think, like five minutes ago. So let me uh, move to the last part of the sermon. Four pragmatic treatments for what to do about greed. We can sit here and feel guilty about greed, right? We can even clean our house out and say, I'm not gonna be greedy anymore, but if we don't fill that house up, you're gonna have seven more demons, even more evil come in and fill you up. So that's the way vices work. Vices are bad habits and virtues are good habits. So when we eliminate a vice, great, but we gotta replace it with a virtue, right? We're gonna have to have a different pattern or groove into which we fall. So the, the virtue that is opposed to the vice of greed or avarice is the virtue of liberality, generosity, or at 4th Avenue, we might say, open-handedness. So how do you do this? How do you do this? Four pragmatic things. And if you're a, a rotter downer you should write these down. Number one, pick an enough number. Actually pick a number. I do this exercise with my students. I have them, I give them a research project. I say, figure out where you want to live, what the costs are, uh, what sort of lifestyle you think is legitimate for you to live. Do the homework. Figure it out. Do the budget work. And come up with a number that you say, this number, adjusted for inflation over time, is enough. Now, you're not, you're not going to make this when you first start out, I say, but when you get there, you'll know That's enough. And I said, the truth is, most of you will get there. These are honor students. These are high-talent people, ambitious people, high-skilled people. I say, most of you will get to this number, and I want you to have this number in your head so that when you get past it, you know, everything I'm making now belongs to someone else. Pragmatic exercise number one, whether you're 17 or 70, pick an enough number. If you're trying to figure out what that number might be, one thing you might do is expose uh, yourself to poverty. Actually, be around some poor people. Visit a third world world country. Go to a soup kitchen. Or, right, if if you live in Franklin, uh, which I don't know anything about this town except it was really pretty as I drove in and I enjoyed that very much, go to an ugly part of Nashville. I bet there are some, right? And drive around. Number two. This is one that, that happened to me recently. Uh, uh, we had a loved one die, and I inherited or my wife inherited some money and uh, that was very sad and very hard and If you ever want to know if you're greedy or not, let a loved one with some money get really sick, and you 'll know immediately the the pool of greed you 'll be so ashamed of the way that you think about money when you don 't want to but this this loved one of ours died, and we inherited some money and it wasn't like game changer kind of money, but it was some money, you know. Uh, and then I had a meeting with a friend of mine who works in advancement at Harding. He raises money for Christian education. By the way, we would love for more of you to give to Christian education, uh, Harding or any other schools that happen to be around here. Uh, but I had, I had breakfast with him and I said, I said, you work with people, your job is in generosity. Tell me what I need to know. And he said, well, you know, Mac, I know how much money you make. You're not really. I said, I said, no, 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 I'm rich. He said, how did you get to be rich? I said, my wife inherited some money. He said, should I have breakfast with her? I said, yeah. He said, how rich are you? I told him. He said, that's not rich. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. My whole life, I've thought of myself as lower middle class. And that's been my excuse for not being generous. I knew too many people who had more money than I. And so I said, I'm not rich, he's rich. Don't you do this? If you make 100,000, you think 250 is rich. If you make 250, you know a millionaire. If if you're a millionaire, you know somebody with hundreds of millions. He's rich, she's rich, I'm not rich. Can I just give you a little pragmatic advice? Just go ahead and decide you're rich today. (laughs) Because you are. Just name it, just own it, just say to yourself, I'm a rich person. I'm rich. I've got so much more than I need. I'm rich. And then read the New Testament and see what it has to say to you as a rich person. Stop lying to yourself about how poor you are and start naming the truth that is that you're rich. Number four, learn to delight in giving. Now, this is the place. I know I've been stomping on toes here this morning. This is what you do. You come in, you yell at everybody, and then you leave the state. Uh, never get invited back to Franklin. Uh, I know I've been stomping on toes some this morning. I'm, I mean, minor bruise bruised too, okay? I, I'm right here in the, in, in the thick of this with you guys struggling with greed. But I want to tell you this. I do know this is the case. There are people in this church who are so good at this one already and if you're not, they can teach you. Learn to delight in generosity. Learn to love giving. I mean, anybody, anybody in the church, just, just do show your hands. Anybody say, I love to give. I love to give. When the check comes at the restaurant, I'm eager to get it. Right? When, when I come to church and they put the QR code up, I'm excited. Here's something that I started doing several years ago. My wife handles all the money in our house so that we'll have some money. And uh, so I'm not allowed to have a checkbook. Uh, When I worked for the church, they stopped paying me and they started paying Jenny because I kept losing the check. Uh, It's just who I am. So Jenny writes the check. We're we're old, we still have a songbook and we we have a checkbook, we pass the plate around. Jenny writes the check and hands it to me, fold it up. And here's what I do when she hands me the check. I open the check up. I look at the amount and then I think to myself, not this is $600, I look at it and think, what could I buy with this that I really want? And it's always something. I drove a Nissan Altima up here. I could buy a truck like a man from White County, Arkansas. Okay, true, okay, that's a preacher's story. I actually inherited a truck when my friend died. So I've got a truck now, but I didn't drive it because I'm not very good at parking it. So <laughs> I, I like, though, I like to look at how much I'm giving. I mean, I get the whole, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. I want to give in secret, but I, I also know this. I like to know that what I'm giving is not blank. I like it. I don't want it to be automatic. I want to put the truck payment in the plate and say, I'll drive a lesser car. My wife has this cool dream to like take our back deck and and enclose it and make it the living room bigger, so we can have big family gatherings and so we can host our college Bible students at our house. Um, I think it's a really cool idea. And if we would stop putting money in the plate at church and stop giving money away, we could afford to do that this year. So when the plate comes around, I put it in and I say, "God, here's my big room." Some weeks I say, "Here's two and a half sports jackets." Pick what it is for you and don't let it just be money. Let it be the thing you're giving away and then learn to delight in it. So my friend Robbie Shackleford was down the there today, and he I was wearing a different jacket, but it did have patches, and he said, he said, Oh, I love that jacket. And I said, I said, and I took it off and I said, try it on, try it on, try it on, Robbie. He said, No, 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 no. no. I said, try it on, see if it fits. Guess what? Thank God it didn't fit. But the the truth is, the truth is, I was so happy when I thought that jacket was going to fit him and he could have it. I was so happy because I was, I I just relished the idea of giving to him something that would make him happy for a moment. And every time he wore it, he'd say, oh, my friend Mac gave me this just in a moment of spontaneous generosity in a coffee shop, took the jacket off his back and put it on me. He must love me, which is true. I do love him. That's what giving is. It's just loving people. It's just loving people. And so these practical things, these practical things are the way to get at the cure for greed. I'm going to tell you one last one, and I'm going to pray over you this morning. I really appreciate you guys. It's been a blessing to be with you. Can I tell you one last one that I say as a visiting preacher? Start start with tithing. Tithing is, is a word the Baptists have loaned for a long time. We're just now catching up on it. It means taking 10% of your money and giving it to the church. The average American donates less than two percent of their income. Christian people ought to be able to give 10. Give 10%. Start there. Start there. And give it to the church as a sacrifice to God. Don't give it like condition, like I'll do this, but I want to be sure that you hire whom I want and spend it how I want. I'm not talking about control. I'm talking about giving. If the elders take the money out back and burn it in the parking lot, I'm putting 10% in next week too. Because that money is my sacrifice to God. Now, they're not going to do that. They're going to steward it wisely. I can tell that already. But start with 10%. This, this lesson is just pragmatic life advice, guys. It's not deep theology. You don't have to have deep theology for this. But if you wanted it, here it is. What has God given for you? That's our model for giving. Let me pray and ask God to bless you uh, as we try to overcome this addiction to money that we have. Bow with me. Father we come before you as broken and sinful people and and broken and sinful in our relationship with wealth. We work too hard to get it. We hang on to it too much. We're too tight-fisted. We pinch our pennies. And we pray that you would give us open hands and open hearts and generous spirits that we might bless the poor, the needy, that we might give like you give, we might be your sons and your daughters, even as Jesus Christ was who taught us how to give. We ask this prayer in his name. Amen.